Here's an HIV pill dilemma for you. Picture the scene. There's a rooftop sunset with fairy lights and you're vibing with friends. You remember you've got to take your HIV pill. Important, yes, but the fun moment is gone. Did you know there's a long-acting treatment option available? So catch the sunset and keep the party going. Visit PillFreeHIV.com today to learn more. Brought to you by Vive Healthcare. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car. It's the two-door coupe that was there for your first drive. The hatchback that took you cross-country and back. And the minivan that tackles the weekly carpool. For the cars you couldn't live without, trust Amica Auto Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Listeners, 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 Sam here. I got a quick little announcement for you before we start this episode. You've heard us share it before, but I'm going to share it again because you need to know and I want to see you there. We have not one, but two live events coming up very soon. I'm leaving the house. I'm leaving L.A. I'm leaving the West Coast to come join y'all in New York and Boston for two live shows later this June. And if you are in any way close to either of those cities, I want you there. I want you there. Boston, come catch us on Thursday, June 22nd at WBUR City Space. And New York, come see us on Friday, June 23rd at the 92nd Y with very special guest, Pin Badgley. Yes, you heard me correctly. Pin Badgley of you and Gossip Girl fame. He will be with us in the flesh. I don't know what I'm going to wear, but it's going to be great. I promise you. These are our two first live events ever, and we are so excited to show you what it's like to make this show IRL. Join us for the Kiki. It's going to be, as the youth say, lit. Click the links in our episode description for tickets to the show. I better see you there. Don't play games. Buy your tickets. Do it. Hello, my ladies. Hello. 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 Is that in honor of Tyler Perry buying BET? You know, I've got to say, maybe. <laughs> I'm Sam Sanders. I'm Saeed Jones. And I'm Zach Stafford. And you are listening to Vibe Check. This week, Tyler Perry. <laughs> <laughs> he bought vibe check. Surprise. Come on, Tyler. <laughs> maker Supreme. <laughs> this week, we are going to talk about the way black people's facial expressions are surveilled <laughs> and scrutinized. It happens mm-hmm. to Angela Bassett. It happens to Samuel L. Jackson. But goodness knows it happens to the rest of us far more frequently. Yeah. We're oh, fed yeah. up. <laughs> and we're going to talk about it. Yes, we are. What do you mean I'm not smiling enough for you? Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about how the internet algorithm determines what a hit song is. Yes. And it's another thing that I'm fed up by, which is that Kylie Minogue song, Padam Padam. Where did it come from? When can it go? But before we get into all of that, my sisters, how are you feeling? Zach, what's your vibe? I'm feeling good. I'm in a really good mood this morning, but I'm also feeling fed up at the same time. So I guess I'm feeling empowered. Like mm-hmm. I'm over it. And we're like halfway through the year. And so I think now my Ooh, my tolerance for things the are, are, are over. So I'm just very clear with people, very open and transparent. Mm-hmm. So that's really great. But I'm also 
in a weird nostalgic mood because Tyler Perry, as we've been joking about, bought BET, which mm-hmm. sent me down a rabbit hole last night after I got the push notification. And I watched Diary of a Mad Black Woman again. And let me tell you, it brought it's back so many memories. The trauma. The trauma of it all and the wild, I forget how Tyler Perry can mix genres. Like not seamlessly, very clunkily. Like right. it is like, it's like drama, comedy. It's like a lot there. But the one thing I just can't let go of is Shamar Moore is wearing a wig the whole time, and I never clocked that. What kind of wig? It's a bad. A wig. cornrow wig. Let me send it to you, listeners. You're now going to hear Sam Sanders react to Shamar Moore, actor, light skinned king of our times, ah! wearing a wig. <laughs> I forgot about. Oh! <laughs> Yep, 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 yep. Fix yep, yep. it, Jesus. Like, you can see the, the lace. Like, you oh, can see everything. No. Everything. And I have to shout out that um, a Twitter user, Chaos King, writes, I knew not to trust Tyler Perry when he made Shamar Moore wear that braid wig. And, and like, why? If you, he could have just if, had that. <laughs> to be clear, if if you are not familiar with Tyler Perry's oof, uh I just want to make it very clear. <laughs> There's nothing in Diary of a Mad Black Woman that requires his character to have cornrows. Zero. Like, it's not like it's coming up in the plot. And when I began, when I began the movie, I was like, oh, wait, he loses the wig, right? Like, he has a transformation. No, no, he keeps the wig the whole time. You can't even see, like, good cornrows, you can see scalp in between the rows. It's really bad. This is just fuzzy. I don't forgive him ever for this wig, and I hope the new BET has a wig budget. It so that's where I'm at today, it this won't. week. It won't. <laughs> but dreamers can dream. Yeah. So anyway, Saeed, how are you doing? Are you feeling Tyler Perry nostalgia today, too? <laughs> <laughs> Always. I, I, I've got to tell you, I'm not feeling Tyler Perry nostalgia <laughs> today. I think I'm much more in the um, strange loop Michael R. Jackson camp when it comes to, <laughs> to Tyler Perry. My vibe is actually I'm very struck by you saying that we are now halfway through the year. Mm-hmm. Wow. To me, that's always an opportunity to go, okay, it's time to take account. And I'm already doing a lot of personal accounting. So I don't know. I I think I've been thinking about strict boundaries right now between the world, however you want to define that, and my body and my home. Mm. I'm having a good time here in my home and in my body. Mm -hmm. I am nurturing. I'm doing a lot of self-care. I'm writing. I have legal pads everywhere. And I think actually this came from our friend Brandon. He was like, as you're going through this process of healing, write things down so you don't forget. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm just constantly Mm kind of – and I Mm -hmm. love that. I know things are going on out in the world, and obviously this podcast is about that, but I'm like, I'll wait until Vibe Check. (laughs) I'll wait until Vibe Check. Because – Because, for example, we record on Tuesday afternoons. I am aware that in a few hours in Miami, Florida, I believe, Donald Trump, you know, will be arraigned. It's not my business until it needs to be my business. That's just how I feel. I like that. You know what I mean? Of course, of course, I think this man is a crook and should be held responsible for his many, many crimes. But at, at this point, I'm not on the jury. I'm not the judge. I'm not in the state of Florida. It's not my business until it needs to be my business. And so that's just kind of, that's the boundary I'm kind of creating with things going on outside of my humble home. I love that. that. Because it also is like uh, protecting your peace in many ways. We, We spoke about the Trump arraignment during our production meeting and all just realized right. that we're going to miss it. Like we all can't move yeah. our lives around this. And who knows what's going to happen. Continual people criminal might, activities. Yeah. People might be protesting later today. And I was just like, I, I don't know I, what, what um, we, yeah. value is being created by Saeed waking up on Tuesday morning, stressing Worrying. out about what's going to, what's that yeah. going to help? I agree. Yeah. So that's where I, I love it. Peace. Peace. Sam, how about you? I'm good. You know, I was out of town for three weeks. I had some vacation and some East coast time for work. 
and now I'm back and I'm really in this, you know, halfway through this year, I've been thinking a lot about television and the state of TV and I'm kind of just stuck on it. We had a conversation from my other show into it with one of Vulture's TV writers, Joseph Adalian. And our whole chat in an episode that's in the feed right now was basically like peak TV is over and it didn't work. So you think back to the rise of Netflix and shows like Orange is the New Black and House of Cards 10 years ago. It felt like a new golden age. Fast forward to now. There's too much TV. You don't know where to find the good stuff. You can't hold on to a show because it might be here today, gone tomorrow, and no one's getting paid enough. We're in this moment where it's like TV's in a rut and it's going to be here for a while. So part of me is like, oh, well, maybe it's just this year that's off. It's like, no, we're in a valley and TV's not going to get better for a while. So I've been thinking a lot about how to enjoy an art form that I'm obsessed with when it's just in a rough patch and might be here for years. Like the very act of finding something good to watch on TV is hard now. It's rough. It it's rough. rough right now. And then when you think you find a good show, uh-huh. and before you know it, it's canceled and pulled off the freaking streaming platform. Because that's the thing. Like whether it, yeah. And it's not just, I mean, obviously the writer's strike is going on. And I want to say that this content desert is not happening because the writers are striking. It's happening because the studios are greedy. Are greedy. Um, yeah. but, uh, but another example of that is like, oh, okay, maybe I'll use this as an opportunity to catch up on shows like Legendary on HBO Max or whatever it's, it's called. Gone. And you can't because they it's pulled gone. it. Yeah, so we can't, it's not even like, oh, this is a great opportunity to watch like older shows. No. Yeah. But, but can I slide yeah. in? Can I slide in? Yeah, no. slide in. Because I'm excited. We have a special episode coming up on Monday. I believe it's Juneteenth. Juneteenth. Yes, yeah. Juneteenth. Ah, that's what Juneteenth means, Saeed. Um, and I specifically <laughs> am going to have a conversation with Roxanne Gay about television, about everything you're worried uh, about, Sam. Yes. Hopefully Roxanne will come up with some answers for you. Listen to that on Monday. And then before then, you can find my episode on Intuit, all about this. It's called How Netflix Envy Broke TV. Mm-hmm. That's on my other show, Intuit from Vulture Nerd Magazine. Well, before we get into the episode, we want to thank all of you who sent us fan mail and reached out to us on social media. We absolutely loved reading your messages. We have an advice mailbag episode coming up soon. So we do actually have some advice questions, I think, saved from last time that we weren't able to get into. But if you have more questions, if you're like, wait a minute, Zach said it's halfway through the year. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. You know what I mean? This is a great time to send your advice questions to vibecheck at stitcher.com. Um, and we'll be getting to them in a future yeah. episode. And I'm pretty sure at least one of those questions, my answer will be divorce. <laughs> yes, it will be divorce. <laughs> Let him go, honey. Let him go. Uh, uh, but for now, uh, let's jump in, shall we? Yes, let's do it. All right. So first up, we want to talk about Perception, how people are perceiving us in the world. And we have a great jumping off point that I didn't think would be happening, but it's happening. And let's just go there. So this past Sunday was the annual Tony Awards, which were almost canceled if you've been following the news due to the writer's strike, which we talk a lot about here. But it happened and it was unscripted. Sidebar, speaking of unscripted, of all the folks to host it, the hardest working woman in the performing arts, Ariana DeBose, she hosted this show. Make it for the hardest jobs. They the really Lord do. Gives the biggest challenges to Ariana DeBose. She does she not. Does not. <laughs> this is, it's we really just tough. saw her dancing around the bathrooms a few months ago. Now she's hosting the Tonys with no script. No script. Can I say something? Say it. 
So her performance in West Side Story was incredible. She, incredible. she made history with her Oscar win, as she should have, but because, wow, what a performance. I'll be thinking about her in that yellow dress forever. Yes, um, yeah. As, as a queer person, as a as a person of color, proudly, you know, embracing and mm-hmm. celebrating their identity, it's a little, now that I think about it, it's a little odd that Ariana DeBose wins that Oscar, makes history, and then immediately becomes like... A professional host. Yeah, the front person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which, which is already yeah. kind of what one of the issues with representation is that and then yeah. instead of being celebrated like for your craft, for the rigor of your performance, mm-hmm. you're then turned into like a spokesperson. It's a little weird. Yeah. Just saying, a little weird. She went from winning an Oscar to becoming a full-time host in the way that like someone like Steve Harvey feels like. Yeah. Or Jimmy really, Kimmel. Or Jimmy Kimmel. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. weird. Anywho, not the story Sorry. here. But it's <laughs> only. But yes. we actually, but no, it does tie into like people when they win awards not being treated well, oh, when they mm-hmm. lose awards they're not treated well either. So it does kind Look, of tie together. Produce us, Zach. Like, produce produce us, us, like, it does. It does. Yes. This is it. the energy we're going for because the energy of this night was Samuel Jackson lost to Tony. Mm. No one really expected him to win. I didn't know he was on the stage. So no one knew. (laughs) What 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 was he in? But it was the piano lesson. So his wife directed it. He's in it. They announced it at the Tonys last year, which were the Tonys I was able to be at, where Strangely won, and it was a big deal. And it was really exciting because Broadway needs big stars to open back up. And Samuel L. Jackson is a huge star that does. He will get butts and seats. He gets butts and seats, and he did that. And the piano lesson has ran, and it did a great run. Wonderful job, Samuel Jackson. But he lost the best acting category, which was expected. However, what people have really clung to is that he didn't, you know, have that typical white people do it really well, that excited face that I lost. The fake smiley face. As soon as you brought this up in our meeting yesterday, I went and looked. I went and found the facial expression. It's just his face. It's just his face. He does his thing, they announce the winner, everyone else fakes a smile and claps. He just has a face, which is allowed. But also it's yeah. it's Samuel L. Jackson. I don't know. I mean, this is all ridiculous. But also in particular, I'm yeah. like, oh, no, it's Samuel L. Jackson. He's not exactly a, known for being like a cheery, yeah, exactly. performative kind Did of person Did they expect anyway. him to cuss someone out? It, it was bizarre. <laughs> but it fits into a theme that we've been kind of touching on on the show and haven't just said full in a full-throated way, which is black celebrities are being mistreated when they lose, specifically if your name is Angela Bassett. So I know we talked a lot about her during the Oscar season, and we never did a big episode about her loss due to the world being on fire. But today we want to bring it all together and kind of have a more productive conversation about why are we so obsessed with black people losing and not losing in the ways that we expected? How does that tie into well, like let's all of our lives? Because it's not that we are obsessed with black celebrity losing. I would say white people and particularly white people in media, producers, editors who generate content like to identify and seize upon these moments where they mm-hmm. feel that they can generate a controversy around a black person not behaving in a way they believe a person's supposed to behave in the And moment. it's the same kind of players. It's always the New York Post or Page Six, those trolly news outlets that always do this. Zach, where do these headlines come from? The ones about his face. Entertainment Tonight, People, BuzzFeed, Fox News. And that's how we got here. You know, sometimes we at Vibe Check, me particularly, when we're in editorial meetings, I'll be like, what is the right talking about? What are they obsessing over? And I'll, I'll dabble over there. And this was front page Fox News Front page coverage. Fox News. Front page. The fact that Samuel L. Jackson didn't smile when he lost an award. 
you know, there's a lot of great research at Harvard Business School about this. Um, and there's this book by Rutgers University history professor Deborah Gay White called Ain't I a Woman? Female Slaves in the Black Plantation South. And she draws a line between how white people like to watch black people in public space go through pain. And if you don't perform it in the right way, then there's some retribution to be had through all of this. Yeah. Well, and there's also this like double bind. So on top of our faces being policed, there's also this reality in which young black people are just thought to be older and more aggressive. Mm -hmm. So like at any age, we're encountering people's prejudices. I mean, we all saw for years how there'd be like a nine or 10 year old boy who was shot by white cops who then said, I, I thought he was grown. You know, yeah. like never are our faces just seen as faces. They are vessels for people's fears. They are vessels for people's anxiety about what blacks represents. And you even see it with Samuel L. Jackson at the Tonys. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's what lit this up for me because obviously, you know, Angela Bassett and Samuel L. Jackson are fine. They, listen, I feel like they have such a healthy relationship to celebrity. I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't even know that these controversies happened. Like <laughs> yes. Angela Bassett yeah. was like, as She's soon free. as the Oscars were over, and I no longer had to here. pretend to care about this stuff. I put my phone down and went mm -hmm. to hang out with my fine ass husband. Um, yeah, Courtney man. B. Vance is a man. That is but a real man. What this did light up for me, and sure, th there is, yeah, you're right, um, Sam, there's the realm of police and state violence. The officer in Ferguson described teenager Michael Brown as a demon before he killed him, right? Yeah. He ran mm -hmm. at me like a demon, I think was part of the, the testimony. But also, like, just like in the workplace. And I'll just think of two examples. One, I've heard young Black people in media feel like they were being iced out or losing opportunities because they weren't enthusiastically engaging in Slack conversations about mm -hmm. pop culture topics often that they weren't interested in. They were like, sorry, there's a Slack at our media company about a show like Friends, and I didn't watch Friends, or I haven't watched The Office, and everyone in there is like typing a mile a minute, and so I, I just kind of wait until something comes up for me to join into. But now it's kind of being turned into, oh, you're kind of shy, or you're you're really not mm -hmm. a part of the group dynamic. Maybe you're not a culture fit, which people lose job opportunities off mm -hmm. of not being a culture fit. Or another example, you know, to go to the smiling and facial expressions thing, I just think often in workplaces or wherever we're navigating, if and I feel this sometimes as an author, and I notice other Black authors deal with it. If you're not constantly smiling, if you're not willing to let strangers hug you mm -hmm. or touch, touch your or body, touch your if you're not willing to things. basically be their temporary best friend, their magical new hairdresser, you're regarded as intimidating, cold, yeah. stuck up. Yes. Yeah. Well, and then even when people, and I mean white people, are trying to be helpful to Black people in the office— it can be a bit too much. I remember when I was younger and just starting out in public radio, a lot of really well-intentioned white women wanted to mentor me, and I appreciated that. But more than one of them would kind of in jest, but then in seriousness, start calling me their son. And like, oh, mm. I'm, I'm your mother. And it's like, no, you're not. My mother's a strong black woman and you're not mm -hmm. my mother. Oh, cool. But there's constantly this pattern, whether it be we look too intimidating or we look older than we actually are or people want to make us part of their fake work family. There's this desire to control a black body, to yeah. control a black body, control a black face, control what is thought of it and control how it's perceived and used. Yeah. And I don't know what it takes to break that, but I see this through line throughout all of this. People want to control black faces and black bodies. 
listeners, if you've heard of this concept and you can think of the scholar who kind of developed this framework, please let me know. I'm going to keep looking myself. Um, But there's a concept called friend to foe. When I learned about it, it was like particularly like black women in the workplace. I'm thinking like, I don't know, let's just, I'm just throwing an idea out there. Just imagine being a black woman at a place like Condé Nast, where when you are more junior, you're supposed to be everyone's friend. You're everyone's little kind of like black doll is kind of the Mm -hmm. sense I get from this concept. And then the moment you begin to grow up in that work environment and you start raising your hands in meetings and you start wanting to lead projects and dare I say it, ask for a raise, ooh, the tables turn really fast. You're not the friend anymore. You're the foe. And and, and all that that warmth that aren't we all a family here all of that disappears yeah because when you're a friend they can control you but Mm -hmm. as soon as you have too much power and they can control you you're a foe Mm. yeah one of the moments that really clarified this for me or really illuminated rather was i was 16 i worked at a buckle i don't know if people know what a buckle is but it's a retail store i worked at a buckle at a jeans store good shoes shoes and jeans (laughs) yep Mm -hmm. and um i really loved working in retail i was where sam likes to talk to everybody i like to talk with people if i have a purpose and retail gives you a purpose all day where you're like sell this thing yeah so i will sell this house and i was really good at it and there was an, an opening for assistant manager when i was 16 17 and my boss was a black guy and I was like oh I'm a shoe in like I have the numbers I have the relationship all the stuff and I was picked over for a white woman who's a similar age as me and he pulled me aside and said let me give you some advice the reason why I couldn't pick you is that you're too good at your job and you never ask for help and they will wow. not tolerate that in this company if you're not willing to ask for help and not outshine your bosses he's like so I don't think you're ready because you don't know that lesson yet and I quit the job the next day I was about to say I was in retrospect yeah. do you think how do you feel about his decision? I feel like I was, I'm so angry about it to this day. I think if I saw him down the street, I'd be mad. But it did give me insight as I moved into college in the professional world that when you are black in a workplace, you have to operate. You have to be nice, but not too overly nice. You can't ever show that you're angry. You have to be excellent, but not too excellent all the time. And I realized very quickly that we as black people can't just be. When I saw my like white colleagues at the retail store just be and get celebrated for it, I couldn't do that. Well, and this is the difference. We've all had this experience. We'll be in workplaces, in offices, in newsrooms. And there is that one white guy who is awful, maybe doesn't even shower, is an asshole to his colleagues, has weird vibes, yet he is a genius because all that matters are like the numbers he generates. Mm-hmm. We're never given that. Yeah, We can never just be the person who performs. We have to look good and smile and make everyone else feel comfortable while we do it. And I see that with Samuel L. Jackson. This man gave a Tony Caliber performance. Shouldn't that be enough? Once you get the nomination, nothing else is owed from him, and yet we expect him to even perform for us in defeat. And to be clear, yeah. he didn't do anything rude. He didn't roll his no, eyes. No, he just held his he face. Yeah, he just he held just, his he face. Just, he didn't give more than he reasonably needed to give in that moment. Yeah. Exactly. And it's also when you think about the context of why he arrived on Broadway, it was to help bring it back. Mm-hmm. So this man has helped lift an entire industry mm-hmm. on his back. And now all of these editors, producers who choose news out of the Tonys have become fixated on. Yeah. He didn't lose in the right way, exactly. which is just an insane yeah. thing to say. I want to use this moment if we can to just talk to our listeners about dealing with these dynamics when you're in the workspace or in public spaces with other black people. I think this is a good moment for people listening to do kind of a self audit Mm -hmm. on the way they might treat people of color in their workspaces. I'm so glad you said that. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> because we are all in this, which is to say a patriarchal white supremacist culture. I think one of the issues with this dynamic is that I think it can be difficult as a Black person, as a Black queer person, to talk about these kinds of experiences and be heard without other people rushing in to say, well, I'm a woman, you don't know, you know, and I'm like, yes, absolutely. Like, wherever we are on this awful tyrannical power totem, absolutely. Like the further you get away from being a wealthy cisgender white man in America, yeah, we're all going to be asked to perform in different ways. But I I would ask our listeners, if you're not a black person, just set aside yourself for a moment. I'm not asking you to like ignore just straight up, you know, misogyny, but also consider the ways in which maybe you have demanded more of your black coworkers than you would want demanded of you. Totally. I also think it's a good moment for all of us to take a step back and realize the ways that work from home mm. has probably helped with these problems for people of color. Oh, interesting. I have been working from home since the pandemic began, so over three years now. One of the things that I have found the most freeing has been not having to perform visually and facially mm. For colleagues, you know, I love all of my colleagues that I worked with at NPR back in the day, but that NPR West office, it was also a studio where everyday guests and celebrities came in to tape their interviews. Mm -hmm. My cubicle was near the front desk. So whenever I was at my desk, (laughs) I was expected to smile when they came in. And so, like, leaving that behind for work-from-home life has been such a blessing. There's tons of writings about how Black employees and Black women especially have been freed by work-from-home life. So on top of just thinking about that, listeners, think about when you go back into the office, if you do, what do you expect from your Black colleagues and what of that is unfair? Mm-hmm. And I guess I would just add, too, like, if Sam, Zach, or Saeed sitting at their desk not smiling, not walking around the office, chumming it up with everybody, leads to such a diminishment in the spirit of the office, then I think think you need to think about why that's the case. Like like, Mm. if, if like an office having like a good, jovial, productive vibe totally hinges on like the three black people that your company has hired. Come on, come on. Then then y'all got bigger problems. There you go. That part. Anyway, well, no, listeners, please write in if you have your own experiences of being at work, no matter if you're black or not, or have other, you know, identities that you feel are not privileged within this hetero white patriarchal society. We'd love to hear from you and hear your tips. On yeah, how you and with share it. with us how you think about these things in the workspace and how you try to be equitable to your colleagues in this way. Do you have special life hacks or methods or practices that help you when it comes to this kind of stuff? Let us know. I would like to know. What's your process? All right. Well, with that, we're going to a quick break, but stay tuned. We'll be right back with some Padam. Padam, Padam. (laughs) (laughs) Tell your neighbor. All right, sisters, ladies, when you think of summer, What feels to you quintessentially summer? I have an answer, but I want to hear from y'all. Festivals. Festivals? Yes. (laughs) Festivals, Festivals. being outside. Music festivals, (laughs) getting outside. I love them all the time. And I'm happy to now talk about what I think is the best summer music festival. It is called the Essence Festival of Culture, presented by Coca-Cola. It's back. 
in New Orleans for its 29th year. And let me tell you, if you like music festivals, if you like concerts, you got to be there. This is the one. This This is is the one. one. This is the one. And it's been the one. The four-day event runs from June 29th through July 3rd. This year's Essence Festival is extra special as it includes a curated 50 years of hip-hop celebration. And they have the most amazing people to help show those 50 years of hip-hop and who has helped pioneer that. They got people like Miss Lauren Hill, Missy Elliott, Megan Thee Stallion. They're all performing. And I just, to see those girls together is just iconic to a level I can't even believe. Just getting Lauren Hill is iconic. (laughs) Like, come on. (laughs) The Essence Festival of Culture presented by Coca-Cola has something for everyone. It is truly a multi-generational experience. The kiddos and the aunties and the youths and the elders. And the uncles are invited as well. Yes. Because of these two. (laughs) Also, this is great. You can receive special rates on hotels when booking through EssenceFestival.com. So don't wait. Mm -hmm. Sign up for a weekend of culture. I like that. A weekend of culture at EssenceFestival.com. Hey, HBCU fam. Get ready to turn up the energy. McDonald's and the Thurgood Marshall College Fund have $1 million in scholarships at 53 HBCUs for 66 brilliant students. This year, you could be one of them. But time is running out. Did we mention the $1 million in scholarships? Apply by March 27th at tmcf.org. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. There's over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. There are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Get started today and get after your goals. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. And for me, I have used Factor for years, from when I was hosting morning television to traveling all the time now as a producer. I love knowing that food is getting delivered to my door that is fresh and ready to go so that I can always be ready to go as well. So head to factormeals.com slash vibecheck50 and use code vibecheck50 to get 50% off. That's code vibecheck50 at factormeals.com slash vibecheck50 to get 50% off. Listeners, we're back. You are still listening to Vibe Check, and we're switching gears here. In the words of the old Negro spiritual, Hadam, Hadam. <laughs> Not Negro spiritual. Not this white woman from Australia what? singing a spiritual. <laughs> hey. Sister Kylie said, Padam, Padam. <laughs> She's on fire. I want to set up this segment, and I want to talk about a song of the summer that actually isn't a song of the summer. Any homosexuals hearing the sound of my voice or allies, by this point in June, you've probably heard a little song called Padam Padam by an artist who we love named Kylie Minogue. (laughs) 
this song has been declared by the gay powers that be to be the song of the summer, but I'm not sure it is. Everywhere I look on the internet, gays I know are posting about it. The place I work, Vulture, is writing articles about it. Mm -hmm. But here's the gag or the rub or whatever they call it these days. This song hasn't charted yet. It hasn't even cracked the American Billboard Hot 100. Oh, wow. It hasn't even charted. It's been a mild hit on the dance charts, but on the main chart of like the top 100 songs in the country, it's not there. So I want to use this weird conundrum of a song to talk about a pet peeve I've been having for a while. The algorithm making people think that what they like is a thing everyone likes. And to support Sam's big claim, which I fully support, and I'm excited for him to dive into, I only know about Kylie Minogue's Padam Padam as a lifelong lover of Kylie Minogue. Yes. I only know about it because people were tweeting the words Padam Padam. And exactly. I was like, what is this? Exactly. And that's how a lot of us arrived there. Not because it's playing on the radio, but because tweets have happened. What is it with the gays this summer declaring a song that's not a hit to be a hit? And what is it about <laughs> the algorithm that allows us to believe it? So I have seen this song pop up and so many gays that I know in their socials, in their Instagram, but I've never yet heard it on the radio. Is this an issue of the algorithm lying to our gay friends? What's going on here? This is going to be salty and sweet. <laughs> First of all, when you say the gays, you actually mean the white gays. I think. So. I wasn't going to go there. I wasn't going to well, go there. Unfortunately but... for you, I wow, live there. We are... So um, <laughs> when we say the gays, we mean the white gays. White gay men, in my opinion, generally have no taste. And when you have no taste, um, as as Martin Luther King Jr. once opined, a queen queen who won't stand for anything will fall for anything. Uh, (laughs) No, literally. That MLK Pride edition. (laughs) Here's my theory. Ride with me on this. Ride with me on this. My opinion is that white gays of the horse meat disco variety have no taste, which means they are pretty easily persuaded by the algorithm. This song is not the song of the summer. It's It's the song of your summer. It's the song of your Mm. algorithm's summer. And this is where I brought it up. It's not just like a white, white gay thing. I think this is happening, you know, there was a point, let's say a few months ago, where if you asked me, I would have testified on the stand that I believed every single person in the continental U.S. had the lyrics of Beyonce's Cuff It memorized. Mm. That's not mm-hmm. true. It's just because it was all over Saeed's algorithm. So, the, yeah. you know, I was constantly kind of being fed that yeah. idea. So I think that's what's happening. But I have taste, and that's why Cuff yeah. It oh. was my song of the summer. Clarifying point. <laughs> Any white gay who listens to, likes, and subscribes to this podcast has a bunch of taste. Yeah, so keep it up, baby. You're special. Yes, yes we you're love different. You. <laughs> you're the exception. <laughs> you're not like the other girls. We're never talking about you. Y'all are great. Anywho, <laughs> Zach, I what think- did you take all of this? <laughs> we are. Just I, doing this song was today. a Trojan horse for me to get some steam off. I, I like you it. really, it really, you was. really. Oh, it was yeah. an entrance into therapy. Um, this song. Okay, so I'm conflicted because Kylie Minogue has love been her. a queen of my love life. Her. True, love her. And she's had hits for 30 years. I mean, her first hit was 1987, mm-hmm. Locomotion. We all know Literally. that song. Yes. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Even also going back to my senior year of high school, can't get you out of my head.
Iconic song. Permanent Bob. So my bigger issue with this song is, to me, Kylie Minogue's discography is incredible. If you love, yes. like, electro pop, if you love dance mm-hmm. and all this, like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's incredible. And, and and she did an interview where she was like, honestly— She didn't even like the song. Ky- well, she didn't say she didn't like the song. She said, I was surprised— that yes. this song is taken off and I haven't had yep. a moment like quite like this since Can't Get You Out of My Head. Yeah. And the other thing is, I, I don't know, it just feels like a, this song feels like an interlude leading up to one of those songs or even like Slow, where it's just like slow. everybody by the pool Love and slow. all those beautiful yeah. bodies mm-hmm. from the overhead shot. Yeah. yeah. And what you should know about the song, and, and it's very different from Kylie, because Kylie has really like broken boundaries in how she responds to electronica like she's really built the field out and made it really accessible that's allowed for lady gaga to really blow up and she even says you know gaga has allowed me to be more relevant because she's expanded electronica now beyonce's doing electronic dance music she is a pioneer Mm -hmm. but that's kind of the reason why the song is doing well is because it hits a certain bpm at about 129 beats per minute which if you go into like deep gay theory there's a joke that is made that gay men's heartbeats are at about 129 beats per minute because that's <laughs> yeah. what dance music goes at and disco music hits that too. So to the defense of white gays who are dancing at Horse Me Disco, the song very easily mixes into every other mm-hmm. nameless dance track that you are doing mm-hmm. drugs to. And that is why the song is popping off. It's not memorable. What is it's being used for is to have some pleasure. It's like sonic lubricant. To the defense. If you will. Yes. This is... A second bump of ketamine song. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like. <laughs> I can't Woo! breathe. <laughs> uh, Chantel, keep it in. Chantel, keep it in because we grow. And the girls that know, know. Okay. We grown, okay. <laughs> Anywho, I, I guess. I want to I, I want to close up this conversation. <laughs> oh my heart is racing. This my piece per minute. going When I've been thinking about this segment and this song, at first I was just like, "Oh, I'm a little annoyed." I keep seeing the memes of Padam Padam in my feed, but whatever, I'm just annoyed. But I have a larger issue with the algorithmification of all music. True. It's going to keep us from later on this summer declaring an actual song of the summer. Yeah. yeah. Because there's no singularity around consumption right yeah. now. How will I actually know what is the song of the summer? If any random gay can make Padam Padam the song of their summer, what will be mine and how will I and, know? And dear listener, that's how we arrived at a Padam Padam segment is because I'm always asking Sam every week, is What's it time? Can we do the song? Are we there? Is it Christmas? Like, is no. it Christmas? Yet? And he's like, not yet, not yet. But this week, Sam Sanders had a visceral response to me mentioning Padam Padam. And I think you're right. Is that like, whether it's music or television, mm-hmm. it feels like all art, and I'm putting that in quotations, is being produced for an algorithm and for SEO and for search and not for how we actually feel. And we're losing the water consumed. cooler aspect of all culture consumption. Yeah. And like, we're not doing it together. That's true. We're not doing it together. Yeah, like the Billboard Hot 100 or whatever, it like doesn't yeah. really line up with how most of us experience music. And to tell you just how much, guess what the number one song in the country is this week according to the Billboard Hot 100? I know, and I'm not going to say it. Remember that country singer who got canceled for saying the N-word, Morgan Whalen? <sighs> that's he has all a I know one about song him. in the country. Oh, he has a number one wild. song in the country. And it's been that way for like nine weeks. Cancel culture run amok. To go to another genre, as we were talking about earlier about like television, I don't know, I feel like 
this I feel like this particularly happens on Netflix shows, to be perfectly honest, where there will be like a line or a scene or something. It's like, why is this here? It doesn't mm-hmm. quite fit. I feel like I've realized like, oh, this is for the screenshot. Like this is like some producer was meme. like, we need like memeable moments. And I think my issue with Padam Padam is like, it's fine as a song. And you're right, like, Zach, it would totally fit into like any DJ set on a Saturday night at like wherever. Um, I'm not going to expose myself by saying my naming names. But, <laughs> um, but also, I think part of the reason it's going viral is because the Padam Padam da 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 is perfect for TikTok. It's a perfect for like uh, uh, however long those clips are. And, and it's yeah. kind of like, I've seen some footage actually on TikTok of people noticing, identifying this, where new artists, Kylie Minogue is like a goddess compared to these people, but like new artists will have like a a song go like totally viral on TikTok and then they'll get out and perform at a like a music festival and there are clips of crowds that are like dead silent and don't know any of the words of the song song until Until they get to the TikTok snippet. Wait, (laughs) I have an example of this. This happened to me this week. The song Trance by Metro Boomin, Travis Scott, Young Thug. You hear a clip of it on TikTok mm-hmm. everywhere. I finally listen to the whole song. That's the end. That's the last <gasps> eight seconds of the song. This is the thing, though. It's like this algorithmic nature of music discovery and consumption keeps us from actually finding an artist's best work. And to take it back to Kylie Minogue, everyone's sitting here talking about Padam Padam, but no one rocked her last album from 2020 called they Disco. Didn't. And it was amazing. It's amazing. It's Ooh. a pure disco album from Kylie Minogue. Mm-hmm. This album is called Disco. The first song is called Magic. It is queer heaven. It's what Padam Padam wishes it could be. Mm-hmm. This is my beef. The algorithm distracts us right. from the best stuff. Yeah. And Kylie herself, even, like, was so excited to release that record, similar to Lady Gaga's Chromatica. So excited to release Dua Lipa's album. So excited. But then the pandemic hit, and it was all this great Damn. dance music, and it just hit a wall. Oh, yeah. And now they're releasing new music, and they're like, wait, you like this? Girl, do you hear what I put out a few years ago? And it's just confusing to everyone. So to wrap this segment, I guess it's like, what do we do with a problem like Padam Padam? I don't know. I think what I want to say to listeners is like, just because you and your 12 friends who live your coastal elite life like it's a sitcom on Instagram, just because y'all like a song (laughs) doesn't mean it's a song of the summer. I would say expand your mind free your mind and the rest will follow and while you're out here go check out kylie's previous album disco that's all i got closing thoughts from y'all i feel sorry for so many people we have accidentally dragged <laughs> the blinds, oh, like the, for the, you and your 12 friends that live DMs your lives on instagram like oh, like it's a sitcom but you week. know you, we all have those friends who live their life like it's a sitcom dare i say it, this segment was like doing a hit of poppers i just it was woo, <laughs> just you know <laughs> I just, wow. On that note, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to recommend some stuff for y'all to get your vibes right. It will not be ba-dum-ba-dum. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. 
We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. All right, my loves, we are back. And before we end the show, we'd like to share something that's helping us keep our vibes right this week. And I have to say, as the spiritual auntie of the group text, I feel a little (laughs) guilty for us doing an entire segment where we're shitting on something that people like. (laughs) We usually don't do that. We usually don't it's do that. Live. So, so this week, our Vibe Rex, we decided to make an offering of some great kind of disco, electro dance songs that, you know, we're not saying are better than Padam Padam, but we're saying that if you like that song, you might also like these recommendations. Yes, I like that framing of it. That is an extension of Padam Padam. Padam Padam is your gateway drug. These are the things that will keep you higher, longer, better, faster. Wow. And with that, Zach, would you like to get us started? I I cannot wait. Listeners, you don't know this. Um, We don't come up with the episode title. Chantel, our producer, does. I cannot (laughs) wait to see what she picks for this week's episode title. But, Zach, would you get us started? I will go first. So, my pick is... The new album by Jesse Ware called Ooh. That Feels Good mm-hmm. with two exclamation marks. And it is a disco album. It's her first real disco album. Uh, the last Jesse one Ware's favorite. Ish. This is like yeah. full, yeah. like dive deep. Um, and she famously began her career doing more RB soul. She collaborated with Sampha and Subtract, which is a great DJ duo. So, anyway, this album, though, is a return to 1970s disco. It is fun. I thought one song would be good, which is Free Yourself, which I already knew. It's a wonderful dance track that's been remixed by everyone. But I started listening to the whole album the other day, and it's all good. Literally, no skips. And okay. I would even consider playing Hello Love at a wedding. Like, if you're looking for wedding songs, listen to Hello Love that you want to dance to it's wow. all wonderful you have brought up weddings for the second time in a month on this show Ooh, Zach. What's going because on i just came here. back from a I wedding and i'm and i'm supposed to be at a wedding next week it's wedding season well, you don't know, read Craig too much called into me it last week talking about rings girl go away with this <laughs> <laughs> sam what's your it's recommendation <laughs> uh it's a two-part recommendation y'all know i love movies i'm probably the bigger movie head of the group i went to see the new spider-verse movie over the weekend it's delicious go see it the animation is on point the plot works they really get representation right in this film series the whole movie is just phenomenal but i also want to recommend a song from the soundtrack which is executive produced by metro booming there's a metro booming song with james blake on this soundtrack Mm. called hummingbird it features prominently in the movie it is amazing. I love James Blake singing the phone book. I would have never thought that him working with a hardcore hip-hop producer like Metro Booming would work, but it works. She got this it heavy works. Metro Booming bass and these smooth James Blake vocals on top of it. It's a bop. Zach, you know. I know, and I also, this maybe we save this for the grab bag episode, but I have a funny story about me going on a date with James Blake in 2012. A date? Wait, is James Blake gay? At first it He's was not a gay. Hang, and then you said it was it's a date? Gay. Girl, what it's was it? like I asked him out to drinks randomly. I met him and I was like, let's have drinks down the street. And we spent a whole evening together. So I, the reason why I'm talking about it is I wrote, a, I wrote an essay about it that people can read if you want to oh, skip did he say ahead. To you? I won't say. Let's see if listeners <gasps> want to hear the story. But it was a whole evening together, many, many a hours. A whole evening. Yeah. Listen, yeah. the song is called mm-hmm. Hummingbird. 
Bird. James Blake wrote it for Zach Stafford. It's on the Spider-Verse soundtrack. <laughs> Don't tell Jamila Jamil that. She will fight you. Know, you know she will. She, she sure will. Fight. You know she, she sure will. <laughs> My recommendation is the song Tongue by M-N-E-K. I happened to see him. Sam, were you there when we were at Sunday Roast? Oh, yeah, we yeah, did see yeah. him. He was sitting at yeah, the table yeah, yeah. over. M&EK is so great. Um, this is from M&EK's album, Language. But the song Tongue is so good. And there's a really good remix. The Jero Vandal remix. Jero Vandal Jero remix. Vandal. It's yeah. so good and so sexy. Um, okay. And, you know, I'd say it's that third ketamine hit. <laughs> if we're following through with the theme Girl. of today's episode, which is I'm not going to smile for you, but I might twerk. Okay. <laughs> Listeners. That's the episode uh. title. That's the episode title. <laughs> <laughs> what are you feeling or not feeling this week? What's your vibe? Check in with us at VibeCheck at Stitcher.com. <laughs> Listeners, 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 thank you as always for tuning in to this week's episode of Vibe Check. If you love the show and want to support us, please make sure to follow the show on your favorite podcast listening platform and tell a friend. A few of you sent in voice memos of yourself yeah. telling a friend to listen. We're going to play those very soon. So keep yeah. them coming. Love okay? that keep energy. Them coming. Love that energy. Yes. Yeah, we do. We do. And it's nice to hear your voices. Some of you should have a podcast. Consider. Mm-hmm. Very seriously. Huge thank you to our producer, Chantal Holder. I'm so sorry about today. Day. Chantal, really sorry. And engineers Sam Kiefer and Brendan Burns and Marcus Hom for our theme music and sound design. Also, special thanks to our executive producers, Nora Ritchie at Stitcher and Brandon Sharp from Agenda Management and Production. A.K.A. Brandisha. Brandisha. Okay, and yeah. we want to hear from y'all. Don't forget, you can email us at vibecheck at stitcher.com and keep in touch with us on Instagram at The Ferocity, at Zach Staff, and at Sam Sanders. Use the hashtag vibecheckpod. Stay tuned for our special episode on Monday with none other than Roxanne Gay. Bye. Bye. Stitcher.